uh, I think being an entrepreneur humbles you a lot. And so you're thankful when it's hard times that, you know, a check, a check came in today or somebody called just to talk about something and do life. And it, it came away being very fulfilled or you're hoping and praying for something. And all of a sudden, an opportunity crosses your path. Welcome to the Ad Valued Entrepreneurs Podcast, where we're on a mission to end entrepreneurial unhappiness. If you're an entrepreneur with a burning desire to change the world, this podcast is for you. We're here to help you transform your life and business so that you can achieve the freedom and fulfillment you crave. This show is dedicated to entrepreneurs who want more out of their life, more meaning, more purpose, and ultimately, more happiness. You deserve it all and it's possible. I'm your host, Robert Peterson, pastor turned life coach for business owners. I believe that success without happiness is not true success at all, but there's always hope for those who are willing to take action. Join us every week as we bring you inspiring leaders and messages that will help you on your journey towards success. Thank you for investing your time with us today. Let's get started. Today's guest brings a wealth of expertise to the table with a strong background in finance and over 18 years of accounting. Christy Barber understands the significance of ensuring that all individuals involved in a business comprehend the day-to-day operations and incorporates this knowledge when advising clients on digital transformations. Christy's passion for helping businesses thrive, coupled with her expertise and experience and financial savvy, make her an invaluable advisor in driving organizational growth and success. Robert chats with Christy Barber about Profit First and helping business owners talk about the money because it matters. It's important that business owners work on the systems and processes, incorporating technology to optimize their business and increase their profitability. Well, Christy, thank you so much for joining me today. Looking forward to sharing your journey and learning about the impact you're making for business owners. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey. I think it probably started out as a very young age. You know, when you always want to hustle, you're like, hey, I want to buy this. I only make so much allowance money and I got to figure out a way to subsidize what I want to buy. So I started working. I come from a very entrepreneurial family and they would always give you opportunities. Hey, you want to make money? Here, here are the tasks that you could do. So I started working around eight or nine years old in the family business and helping out around there so I could, you know, buy CDs and whatever else you want to waste your money on at that age. That's great. (laughs) So, yeah. So I think that that planted the bug in me of I don't ever want to work for somebody else. I want to build something myself and be able to have other people walk that with me. And so I worked for the family business a long time through college and a little bit after. And then I moved to Colorado, was a fractional or was CFO of a company. Love that. And then I then it like really bit me of, oh, it's time to go on your own. It's time. So I made a jump. I've been doing that full time since 2015. And I have no regrets. It's it's a fun dream. It's hard in a different way, which I'm sure you understand and a lot of people understand. But it's it's a lot more rewarding than than the nine to five punch card. So CFO for 
someone else mm -hmm. and then jumping in in on your own deciding to to so did you jump into fractional cfo what did you what did, did you jump into yep all fractional cfo work a lot of accounting stuff and then over the years i've kind of grown in that of saying a lot of things we're moving towards now require technology components whether it's software or a process around how to do something and how do we build out your accounting departments how do we build out your company so it's systematized and you have the correct processes in it to help get you to where you need to go and starting there building out accounting departments first and then you know building from there it's the operation side it's the sales side and i work with a lot of warehouses um, tons of clients in manufacturing distribution and so you you really need a lot of that stuff. And as we've all seen over the last couple of years, it's hard to find good labor. And we're having to fill in with software and systems to be able to take some of the burden off and being able to help these companies bridge that gap where they need to. Nice. So obviously you're you're a fan of Mike Michalowicz, who's been yes. on the show, love his book profit first and clockwork and now he's got a new book coming out called all in helping business owners but but his goal is really to end entrepreneurial poverty mm -hmm. and and so when did when did you become profit first certified and and what what's led you to to liking profit first and applying it to your business models so i did it in 2020 because i figured hey this is I've always followed a lot of his methodologies. I knew who he was, but didn't go the certification route. And I saw, hey, there's a real need for this. And this is another market that I can add value to um, based on what I do and based on what he teaches. It's it's kind of like when you, you give a referral to somebody and they're already basically sold. They just need to sign their name. Right. That's what I feel like a lot of his his stuff does because they've already bought into all of it. They just need somebody to help them guide be guided through it. And that's what, so I picked that up in hopes of adding value to the existing clients I had, and then also um, picking up some more along the way. I think what I appreciate most about Mike's teaching in finance is that it's just based on reality for a business owner versus mm -hmm. the reality for an accountant or a financial officer, right? Yeah. I mean, they just live in a, we, we live in a different world in our heads mm -hmm. <laughs> and our understanding of how the, the money works. And no matter how much we train a business owner, they still go to the bank account to see if they can afford to buy that forklift. Right. Oh yeah. <laughs> For... All the time. The bank account says I have X dollars. No, you just wrote, you know, $20,000 of expenses yesterday. You have $2,000 coming in and it hasn't been reflected here yet. So no, you can't buy it. And I think what Mike does a really good job of, he, he speaks the language of the business owner. And that's what I've seen a lot of what I work with. Business owners are very passionate and they're very gifted in their skill set. And a lot of times when it comes to the financial component of it, that's where they, they don't know what to do. They usually don't like to do it. And they'd rather just somebody else take care of it and tell me, can I do this? Yes or no. And I think where Mike comes in, he can tell people, let me help you understand this. So you're confident in what your accountant is telling you. And you're confident when you read your numbers. Absolutely. And, and it's important to know one of my mentors um, was paying an accountant and assumed everything was, was good until 
you know, five black SUVs pulled up in front of his business and came in and took all of his computers and yeah. said, we're seizing everything because you haven't paid your payroll taxes. But on paper that he looked at as an owner, the accountant reported that he had paid the payroll taxes and the accountant was actually stealing <laughs> those oh, payroll man. taxes. So yeah. the accountant ended up in jail, but ultimately his business is shut down while his computers are impounded by the IRS and him as the business owner is still ultimately responsible for those payroll taxes. And so there, there is a huge element of a business owner can't outsource the responsibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so even if I hire somebody, what are the things a business owner needs to, to know so that, that they're, holding on to that responsibility and yet trusting their financial advisor, their CFO, their fractional CFO, or their, their, their accountant or bookkeeper. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it starts with do you, can you read your financial software that you have? Most small businesses have QuickBooks. QuickBooks is pretty easy to look through. You can go pull an audit trail. You can see if somebody changed something, you can see who actually entered something. And if you're concerned you know, you can always start there. That's what I say. And then for him, good example would be the payroll taxes. Okay, well, the financials say this. Let me just log into the state and see, do I have an outstanding balance? Have I been getting any letters in the mail saying, hey, you owe us money? And have I gotten to them first versus the accounting department or whatever kind of stepping into it and interceding and maybe just shredding them? I don't know what this guy did in particular, but there's things like that that you can take measures with. And a lot of my clients that I have, I show them that. And they're they're really interested in the reporting. And we're looking at something. We do a, a trailing 12 months. So let's say it's July today. So I want to look from July of today back a year to July 11th of last year. And then start seeing the trends of what happens. And then take a picture that way and you make decisions. And I have a client... I do fractional work for, and they have an outside accounting department that does all the invoicing and receiving of bills, et cetera, paying that. And then I went and reviewed it. We got four pages of notes of heirs. The income's overstated. It's double entered here. Expenses aren't entered. And so now the owner has no good picture of what his business is doing because the accounting isn't correctly showing what, what's going on. And that's a huge problem, too, that you have of just it's either limited skill set or I, I don't know, honestly, like kind of what is going on in today's world with just you're very gifted in what you do, these accountants. But then sometimes it just doesn't happen like it should. <laughs> well, and that's the reason why a business owner needs to have a, a certain level of awareness. Mm -hmm. And and then even with an accountant there should be a, an audit opportunity to, to audit the work that they're doing, not from lack of trust, but for, for clarity for, mm -hmm. and transparency. Yeah. Cause it happens more times than enough. I audited a company probably about four years ago. Cause the business owner was, he was thinking the controller was stealing money, mm. which she wasn't. She just wasn't entering anything into the accounting software yep. because it it was too many steps. I'll get to this at another date and another date and another date. And then pretty soon you're 
six months in and none of this has been done. And so the financials income wise was overstated, I think like $200,000. And then theirs was a payroll issue where payroll was all paid online. None of the payroll taxes were entered into the software. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously accounting is, is, is a big deal, right? I mean, every business needs it, every business and, and the majority of business owners don't want anything to do with it. I mean, let's no, be honest. They don't. <laughs> so, it, it's their main pain point and it, it's like pulling teeth for them. You, you want me to do what? And it's like, no, don't worry. We'll, we'll find somebody that can do this for you. So now let's get down to the, the, the basics, right? So on a month to month basis, you need a bookkeeper. How often do you really need an accountant? I mean, I guess it depends on business size. Depends but the average- on the business size, yeah. Um, some of the larger companies, which I'm saying around probably two million on the small side, but then again, it's complexity because I've worked with companies that are a million dollars in revenue, and they need somebody that can that really knows what they're doing. That's a little, that's outside of the skill set of a bookkeeper. A bookkeeper is mainly, they pay the bills, they enter in all the deposits, they take care of payroll, et cetera. You need somebody that's coming in and analyzing your financials, helping you make forecasting decisions, things like that. And I think being a lot in the manufacturing distribution world, there's a lot more moving components where a bookkeeper doesn't always have the expanded skill set that accountant would have like around inventory. Hey, we got to do some inventory write-offs this month, or I'm refining some vehicles. What does that journal entry look like? Am I capturing the reclassifications properly? And so I think all it depends on the company's needs and size. Absolutely. Well, and that, that can get really challenging too in the whole tax world of, equipment right the valuation of a truck or a tractor or um equipment that 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 you've started to depreciate and and how that plays out which absolutely makes no sense to a business owner yeah because i they they don't know yeah i paid one hundred fifty thousand dollars for this tractor why could i only claim you know twelve thousand dollars of it this year and twelve thousand dollars of it for the next 10 years and it's broken twice in the meantime or i've had to repair it can't claim those things but so it this depreciation is just a weird uh challenge for understanding Mm -hmm. and yes i think only accountants and the irs understand what it really means and it's ever changing too because there's some years you can do you know, some advanced types of depreciation. And then other years it goes away because there was that over the last two years, there was a way that you could do some advanced type of depreciation write off some additional things. This year, you can't do that anymore. It's It's gone away. And so I think having a good relationship with the client's CPA is mandatory in a lot of ways because that's going to help them know what's going on because they're not in the day-to-days. And but they also need to know from a tax perspective um, how to plan appropriately. And so usually with my clients, I get together with their account, their CPAs in October, and then we make any final decisions. Hey, do we need to buy a new piece of equipment? Is now the right time? Maybe we don't want it. Maybe cash flow it's going to hurt. And Mike talks about this a lot in Profit First, and even um, 
I don't know if you're familiar with Greg Crabtree at all. He wrote a book called Simple Numbers. He's out oh, nice. um, down south in, uh, I want to say it's like Alabama or somewhere over that way is where he's from. But he looks at a model. If I take my total income, divide my total revenue, what, it, what are my percentages along that? Am I zero to five? percent and then my company's basically dying i can't afford to buy anything i can't hire more people i got to get out of that he calls like the 10 percent is his version of break even of all right you're doing good over 10 percent, you can decide do i i have the cash flow now do i want to hire labor or do i want to purchase some equipment that's going to help build my company well in the reality in this economy right even though they claim inflation is some silly number like five or six the reality is it's significantly more than 10 percent in in the real world and real spending power Mm -hmm. and so i could see that under 10 is broke and uh, and and 10 is just breaking even Mm -hmm. so so interesting and 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 that's the idea right with salaries we think about um how much you pay yourself and and a salary year over year if it's not increasing by 10 percent it's you're, you're losing, losing. Money. Yeah. yeah and and i think some people we've been all taught to believe well this cost of living increase of 3% and 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 in the reality that's why i advocate for entrepreneurship i advocate for business ownership because the only place you can increase your revenue by more than that 10% is if you own your own business because no business can afford to increase their wages 10% year over year it's just not very realistic Mm-mm. And, and so, with the way things are going too, you're getting a lot more automations where it's fewer employees doing doing the work too. We will be right back after this short break. Are you an entrepreneur who started their business with purpose and passion only to lose sight of it amidst the daily grind? We understand how frustrating that can be. That's why we're offering free strategy calls to help you gain clarity on the barriers holding you back from achieving your dreams. In just 30 minutes, our experienced coaches will work with you to identify obstacles and develop strategies for overcoming them. There's no commitment or pressure, just a chance to get some assistance and clarity you need. Scheduling is easy. Simply visit smilingcall.com and select a time that works for you. Let's jump on a call and build your business together. It's time for you to add value and achieve your full potential as an entrepreneur. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. Well, and that, and that's got two pieces, right? For some reason, the workforce has decided they don't want to work. And the other, the other piece is that the employers can't afford to pay Mm -hmm. a workforce. So we've got employers out there that are just dying to have employees and they need to need to hire. And and they're facing a challenge in, in finding people and, I, that area is, you know, for me as, as a coach, I lean in and talk about what are your values, right? What is, what, what are the things that are important to you? Because that's what your hiring decisions need to be made on. And, and people that want to join your team will align with your values and, and pay is only one piece of that. And in so many places, employees, they're just caught up in, in the pay and how much money they're getting. Um, We can see that in some of the union fights and strikes that are happening and, it's all about, I need to get a little more. I need to get, everyone wants to squeeze their little piece of the pie. And I think the advantage of entrepreneurship and business ownership is you make your own pie. 
Mm -hmm. You decide what number you want and then you go work towards that. Mm. Yep. I love that. Yeah. So we're, we're big about business by design, right? Design the life that you want and then let's build a business to, to, to make that happen. So I kind of love that about your story from, you know, even when you were young, recognizing, look, my, my allowance isn't going to get me this thing that I want. So how can I figure out how to fill, close that gap? That, that is really the story of entrepreneurship or the way it should be. Should, the, yeah. The challenge for most entrepreneurs is they start a business based on their expertise. Oh, I'm a really good plumber. I'm really good at fixing cabinets and, and they build this business and then it takes over their life because they don't have, they didn't have a direction or a plan or a number or a, a vision of what they wanted it to be. And it becomes its own thing. And, yeah. and really it's, it's, it's now stepping back and saying, all right, now we want to design your life. What is it that you really want? <laughs> What is it that you, you know, and, and everybody has a number, right? We, we all know that there's a, there's a number of dollar sign that that's going to satisfy you at some level. There's a, a size of a house that's going to satisfy you. There's a type of car that's going to satisfy you. And, and when you write those down and you put them, you know, put them onto paper, then that gives you an opportunity to create a roadmap. Yeah. And then you can celebrate when you can cross those things off of, Hey, I accomplished this. Finally, this is awesome. Absolutely. So let's talk about your, your journey. Obviously you, you spent time in corporate, so you had a, you know, you were in the C-suite or, or approaching C-suite. So you had a significant salary. How did you build your business to, to satisfy that level to, to be able to get to where you are today? A lot of it was, I was, I would go to tons of networking events and meet as many people as I could because I knew what I wanted to do. And mind you, I only worked in corporate for three and a half years. I, I don't have the right personality for the corporate world, which I'm sure a lot of people on your show and entrepreneurs in general, we, we see life through a very different lens. And that was always my problem in the corporate setting of, well, we could do this better this way, or it could be done faster or, and, and that's not what they want to hear. And I even had management pull me into the office one time and they're like, Hey, you need, you need to stop saying these things in the weekly meetings because people are asking questions and we don't like this. <laughs> and it makes you think, wow, like, you guys could do so much more if you would just be open to hear, but you don't want to be. And yeah, I, I left that world pretty quick. And that was a different, I was CFO for this one company about a year and a half and I left. Uh, they weren't doing so great financially and I was afraid they were going to go under. The owner of the company wasn't making the best choices and fun, they, he was bleeding funds out of the company. Well, and you have the first signs, right? <laughs> yeah. And I remember even going to him about it, telling him, I'm worried about my job because I can't make payroll this month. You have to not take a payroll so I can pay the employees. And you're looking at the diagnostics, right? Because I've, you know, as the CFO, you're right in the, in the heat of <laughs> these are what the numbers say. This is the real situation versus what the owner thinks. <laughs> is really yeah. happening or who powerful. <laughs> yeah. So I, I left that and then went to a corporate job to move to the side of town that I wanted to live on. And that's where I really understood you got to go make your own thing because you are not made for this setting. And I, it like it, 
in a weird way, it kind of kills your soul and you lose your passion for what you're really good at because it's draining you. You go into an office that you don't want to be at. You're around people you don't want to be around. You're doing things you don't want to do because you know you're created for more and you know there's other things out there that that's more of what your calling is around and your giftings are around and you want to be able to give that back to the world. Christy, you know how many people are stuck in that space and they stay there because they don't think they have a choice. Which is really sad. And I come across people like that. And I'm sure you do even more being a coach. And how do you get people unstuck to be able to see there's more for you? So some of it is the myth, right? We believe this myth of job security. We believe this myth that the company has our back because we're their employee and they're going to take care of us. They speak guarantee a little, you a check every two weeks. Speak into, speak into the, the idea of job security a little from your perspective. See, and I never thought of it that way. My thing was, and that's probably where I'm different in it. Yeah, you're paying me, but the value of what I offer to your company does not match the salary I'm being paid. Mm. And that's, I think, was my differentiator of I have a lot more I can give and I can give a lot more to others. And money doesn't, like, it. yeah, it is a huge driver for me, but I want the value to be seen the most. I want people to get something out of what I'm giving them or I receive something from them. And being in a corporate setting, your soul basically dies. I went and I, I worked at um, a financial company, so do, working with a lot of stockbrokers and running analysis on stocks and trends and all of these things. And I'd go to work every day. I'm like, I don't want to be here. I don't enjoy this. I'm not showing up as the best version of me. And this job doesn't give me anything I want. And I think a lot of companies, they try to sell you, well, I'm giving you health insurance. I'm giving you a 401k. I, I can go do that myself. I can make my own 401k through my own company, probably invest it a lot better. I can go pick a health insurance plan that fits my needs exactly. And I'm not looking to you know, get into something where they're trying to meet everybody's needs. And it's, you know, a couple tens of thousands of employees. And I, I think that's the main thing is people that are stuck. They don't see that there's freedom in being able to make those choices because society has told them, you have to work because you need health insurance. If you don't have health insurance, you're screwed, essentially. And they don't tell you there's all these other options out there. I mean, we could get on a soapbox on this and even with school, too, because I have the same thing with college. Why are you going to school? Most of it you can learn from a mentor on the job side and reading a book if it isn't something that's necessary. Well, and especially for the price, right? Yeah. Are you I could pay. Value? I could pay. I could pay $20,000 and have a one-on-one -on -one mentor for a year or be a part of a, a high level mastermind where I've got 10 mentors that have all been there and done it or, you know, are running million dollar companies yeah. and, and, and doing the, doing the thing versus going to school and learning, learning this, this book side of, of things, academic side of things that doesn't ever work out over here in the real world. Yeah. It's, it's not you're the same. memorizing, you're memorizing things and you're not learning real concepts of, I think that's what I've learned from mentors is, Hey, here's a hard situation. How, how do you handle that? School doesn't teach you that, you know, reading an accounting book doesn't teach you, Hey, when a client's upset or they're looking for this, how do you handle that? 
So let's talk a little bit more about mentor relationships and, and yeah. their importance in your growth journey. I've had a handful of really, really good ones. I think my grandpa has been probably one of the most influential because he's very entrepreneurial mindset. And he started at a young age of teaching that. And I think he always saw, he always told me, if you learn accounting, accounting is worth gold and you can get any job anywhere because nobody knows how to read financial statements. Okay, well, I could do that. And so just looking at a young age of, hey, what, what, do you, what do you think these numbers mean? What would you do in this situation? And then even in school, different professors that would want, they, they would see something different in me versus somebody else. And they, they would want to give you their time because they, they saw that they could add a lot of value. And I've had business coaches, different things like that, and even clients in a way that have turned into mentors. Nice. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, obviously you mentioned the value of a mentor because they've, they've been down the road before they've solved that problem before. Um, they speak into challenges in a different, in a different way, right. Compared to walking in the boss's office on a, on a job and the boss just, you know, the boss doesn't explain the behind. They just say, well, do it this way yeah. versus, you know, a mentor, a mentor is more in that teaching mode, right? And, and encouraging you to make the best decision, giving you the the, the information that, that feeds that best decision. Love that. They want to paint the picture for you versus in a, you know, you go into, like you said, your manager's office or director's office and they do it this way. And I, and that was something I used to not necessarily get in trouble for, but get questions <laughs> a lot. What, why do you need to know the process? Well, I need to know if what I'm doing makes sense because I'm questioning if it does. And if you told me how it all works out, maybe I'd be okay with this. Nice. Yeah. How has gratitude helped you in your journey? Uh, I think being an entrepreneur humbles you a lot. And so you're thankful when it's hard times that, you know, what a check, a check came in today or somebody called just to talk about something and do life. And it, it came away being very fulfilled or you're hoping and praying for something. And all of a sudden an opportunity crosses your path. And I think their gratitude is very, very important because entrepreneurship can make you negative in a lot of ways. If you let it, because it's a slow burn, it doesn't happen overnight. And society tries to sell you these success stories of, I went from rags to riches in 20 days. Well, nobody knows that you put in 20 years prior to get to where you are today and this opportunity worked. And there was a guy, I don't remember his name, but it was a business thing. And he, he, he said, what if you are just two failures away from your million dollar product? Wouldn't you want to fail faster? And I think there's gratitude in, in the failures, even though it's uncomfortable and I, I've never liked it. But saying, yeah, I'm glad this failed here because I learned X, Y, Z, and now it's made me a better, stronger person and able to look at things differently. So talk about the difference between failing and, and quitting. Oh, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I think there. I have friends that laugh about this with me because there's something about me. You just beat me to the ground and I'm like, well, we're still getting up. We're still going. I think. Failing is understanding, yep, it didn't work out. It stings and it hurts. And I may need to sit in the pain of that for a moment. 
but I'm going to pivot and redirect and regroup and go try something again. And I are, I use sports a lot of ways to do that. If you, you're, you have your sport and you're like, I love this. I'm going to do this. No matter how many times you get hit down, you broke a bone, you get hit in the face. I don't know what you still are going to come back tomorrow morning for practice. And entrepreneurship is that same way. If you quit, then in my opinion, it never was for you. <laughs> it's true. So I with all know. the successes you've had, Christy, what's uh, what's your biggest challenge? Biggest challenge is I can get stuck in my mind a lot and thinking, hey, you, I could do something this way or it's paralysis analysis. What is the best way to do this? Because I've failed so many times in certain areas. I don't want to fail this time. How can I get around not doing that? So that that's one of my big ones. Just nice. go. Don't think. So let's talk about referrals and the power of, of referrals. Obviously, you're working in the manufacturing and warehousing. What what's your what's your lead funnel look like and, and how do referrals play a role in that? I have been from the beginning pretty much a hundred percent referral based in a weird way. And now for the first time, I'm trying to move outside of that to be able to grow. And it's a very odd and uncomfortable feeling because referrals, usually they're, they're kind of pre-vetted. They're, you've had a friend that's told them about you. You've had a client that's had a positive experience or, or they've read something about you and talked to somebody about you and they come in and they, they're already 90% in. You just have to get them over the finish line to want to work with you. Or they're already ready and they're like, can you send me a contract today? Nice. Yeah. Yeah, those are good. So what, what are you trying to do to get out of out of the referral base? What's what's this new target you're 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 reaching out to? It's a new target is same niche market, manufacturing distribution, e-commerce, e-commerce based. I'm trying to expand to do some services for small business where maybe it's a small group where I work with three people at the same time, kind of like a cohort and we're working through things together so I can keep the price lower for more, more of the guys that are just coming in and they may not have the monies to be able to allocate to a one-on-one -on -one and more so where I do and you do, and we go back and forth and there's training components of it. That's what I'm, trying to grow into uh, this year. So more like a group coaching opportunity on the, yeah. on the side rather mm -hmm. than a one-on-one -on -one CFO. And there's certain that. places for one-on-one -on -one because it's information you don't want shared with anybody sure. else, but building some of the fundamentals, you can do that in a, in a group setting. And I, I found in some of the smaller ones I've tried that with, there's a lot of value that comes from it because they're meeting other people that might have a similar problem as them, or here's how you solved it. They end up working together because they found out they have complementary products and it's been really cool to see. So really you're creating a referral network from your client network. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that's, that's pretty awesome. All right, Christy, what's your big dream? Big dream. Oh gosh. I have a lot of them. So I'm currently writing a book right now. Nice. Should be ready the end of the month. And I mm. want that to be able to really help small business owners. Like my thing is I want everybody to walk into the potential that has been given to them 
and flourish in that. And however I can do that, whether it's speaking engagement wise, which I would, I've done a little bit of that. I'd like to do some more to this book and then just being able to offer additional products and services for my existing clients and then new clients coming in so that their entrepreneurial journey is successful. Nice. Love that. Yeah. All right. We end every episode with our guests sharing their words of wisdom for our entrepreneurs. What would you share? Words of wisdom. Oh, I had a good one. I think everybody's definition of hard is different. <laughs> and you may think something's impossible and really it's only hard and looking at it through the right lens and your hard may be somebody's impossible that you can go solve and your impossible may be somebody else's hard that they can solve for you. Nice. Yeah. Christy, thanks so much for hanging out and sharing so much of your journey and, and your wisdom. I know that I'm encouraged by it. I hope some of the, most of the audience is encouraged as well. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for tuning in to this episode brought to you by the power of intentional decisions that lead to massive action. Those aren't just buzzwords. They're qualities that can help you take control of your life and build a successful business. To support you on this journey, we're offering you our most popular survey to help you establish a baseline. Visit enjoybizlife.com to check it out and take the first steps towards changing your life and business. We often make things more complicated than they need to be losing sight of what's truly important. This tool will help you refocus on what matters most so that you can start doing the things you've always wanted to do, like spending quality time with loved ones. And if you enjoyed this episode, please show us some love by liking, subscribing, or leaving a review. But most importantly, share it with someone who needs to hear it. In our next episode, Steve Spiro and Robert talk about the power of connection. Steve's written a book, The Tao of the Master Connector, and shares the power of spiritual connection and of creating relationships that help grow business. Steve is an introvert turned powerhouse using his gifts to help others engage in connection.